Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing Monday the 6th of July 2020. Harvest has begun in the south of England. It will be starting during this week in the lovely county of Norfolk. Yes, how exciting is that? Each year it comes round and there's a little uh, little bit of excitement about what's going to happen next and uh, what are we going to get. Still gives you a bit of a thrill, even if you're an old codge. So what should we start with? Um, let's deal with old crop first and say old crop is largely overdone and dusted. If you look at feed wheat, um, the old crop value is 157x. There's bits to be done by the consumer, but very little. They, they're pretty tidy. Farmers have also tidied up predominantly. There's a few, um, you know, there's a few of the old death or glory, I've got this card, it's going to win sort of types about. Um, it isn't going to change much and it isn't going to go up. So if you're going to carry it into new crop, fine, lock the doors, sweep round it, whatever you're going to do. If you're not, then uh, you're not going to gain anything by holding your breath any longer. I'm pretty certain there's no feed barley left, or there shouldn't be, and rapes largely finished. Now, the only comment at the tail end of the harvest has been the the, the premium for soft wheat creeping upwards. Um, it hasn't been fantastic all the way through the year, but as we get got to the end of the year and it became clear that there wasn't the acreage of soft wheat and milling wheat planted in the ground, a number of the key consumers who've got lots of consumption behind them and some of the millers have been tucking the stuff away into store with a view to seeing them through into the start of next harvest. It's going to be a little harder for them to buy that tonnage next year and consequently there's some good premiums, as we've mentioned before, on milling wheat and soft wheat going into next season. So that's been a a spot of excitement for the tail end of the year and some of the soft wheats that have been left and some of the milling wheats. So, as I say, everything else is done on old crop as far as we're concerned. New crop. Uh, well, it's been a bullish week. Uh, this time last week, it was pretty, pretty kind of gloomy. The market had come down a fairly long way. It just kind of felt like it had gone down enough. There wasn't any farmer selling, as I mentioned. And if you don't have, in the end, farmers coming forward with tonnage to come into the marketplace, then there is a point at which the trade can't go short. It can't keep selling it without having some form of supply. Uh, And if the only form of supply comes in the form of buying perhaps futures as as a way of hedging against a a sale they're making to a consumer, then in the end the futures has to go up. And if the futures go up, then the ex-farm price goes up. And that is kind of what happened. It was spurred on predominantly by a good rally following the uh, USDA planting uh, report declaring that the acreage of corn is smaller than people had anticipated. So with that in mind, um, yeah, we've had a three, four pound uh, rally, which is really, you know, that's great. There's no particular reason for it. Smaller anecdotal issues in in regional little holes in the ground like like where we live. It didn't rain much last weekend. There was that big heat wave. There was rain forecast and uh, it didn't. It didn't happen, not, not to any volume. So 
lots of those crops have not recovered. And as we go into this harvest looking at wheat, I would say that we've got some, we have got some good average crops. There's some, there will be some good over 10 ton a hectare crops coming off our fields, which is great. However, there is also going to be, it's either good average or it's bad, plain bad. And in between those two, the average is going to be lower than people are used to. Um, In our area, the crop size shrank because it simply did not get any any resurrection moisture or enough moisture to give it anything extra, in my opinion. So a value for new crop feed wheat, uh, 160x for November is where it's at, as I record market looks a little weaker this morning. Uh, this is recorded on the Friday. Just one reflection. New crop feed wheat prices, basis Norfolk. The high has been 170x. The low has been 135x, basing the price upon the futures market. Uh, so you are £25 off the bottom and you are £10 off the top. So I ask you a question. Is that good? Answer on a postcard. Uh, feed barley, 120x for harvest, um, harvesting any minute or has already started. I think uh, during the heat of harvest, the price for feed barley will fall. I, I don't. There are boats, uh, several cargoes that are going to be going out of all East Coast ports, which is going to keep things rolling. But I'm nervous about uh, the spec of what's coming on the winter barleys, and, I, and there will be a harder intake period on on qualities we're not going to be taking high nitrogens and trying to do something with them and if it's too high in screenings we ain't it's not going to be worth the cost of trying to do that either for the size of the premium i might be completely wrong on that it might all be terrible and suddenly there's big premiums because there's very little good malting barley but if that's the case that means there's bucket loads of feed barley because it's been rejected just for those who uh, who uh, don't want to be depressed or for, uh, it's like the football results for those who don't want to know the score look away now we have rubbed out a sample singular of craft from an east anglian field our top technician ollie hitchcock's been out there and the nitrogen was 1.8 which is a little too high so uh, with that in mind that's just a field a corner of a field maybe ollie didn't even make it to the middle of the field and maybe it was the headlands but it doesn't bode well. We were hoping for something a little lower than that. But uh, hey, one swallow does not a summer make. Oilseed rape, 320. Harvest intake is going to be intense because one of the mills blew up, as we discussed last week. Um, so it's going to be to store only. At the moment, as far as we're aware, with, without Erith being on side, because um, we're not clear what the damage is and, and there is no nothing coming back. So it looks like it's not about for harvest. There isn't export. Export has not been um, a a viable option so far. But there is a shortage of meal, which could mean, uh, I've been told, that um, there could be some meal boats coming in that that reverses out and takes some rape the other way. But I I can't see that. Either way, I think it could be uh, one of those, if you need to remove rape, there will be a limited number of people taking it. Now, hopefully... Uh, it will create a storage problem because uh, hopefully means that there's a yield big enough to, to, to do that. Some of the earlier expected yields, um, if they're realised, then we won't have a storage problem at all. So let's just cross our fingers and hope there's a bit of a storage problem because that means you've got something that you're actually trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
Drone Ag has launched Skippy Scout, a new, easy-to-use mobile app which is helping farmers walk crops more efficiently. Skippy Scout automatically flies a drone to capture leaf-level images, which offer vital broadacre crop insight. Skippy Scout is just £30 per month and can be used with most drones. The app is five times faster than walking crops on foot and provides high-resolution images that can help to identify weeds and pests. If you want to see more of your crop in less time, visit skippy.farm today. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today I have uh, got back with me Dr Paul Everton. Hello Paul. Uh, hi Andrew. Now uh, if you may remember he was, uh, we are going through a few health issues last time. I, all the things I had to have tested and all the things I did or didn't or should or shouldn't do. Um, I've been relatively bad on most of that. You know in these times of uh, the terrible COVID-19 Paul has had some, uh, you know, he's been on the front line as has all of his family. And uh, I think it's a good time to actually touch base with someone and, and talk about this issue because... When I said I was going to get Paul on here, all my colleagues all had a question to ask, which I've got reeled down in front of me. And I think it would be a good thing to have a little bit of a touch base without any political spin on it. So are you up for that, Paul? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's an opportunity, really, to to put a little bit of a word out about COVID and what it means and what's happening at the moment and what we might have to look forward to in the future. Mm. I mean, I'll say we're we're sitting out in Paul's garden, which is incredibly, you know, sufficiently miles apart from each other with these long leads, aren't we? <laughs> so and, they uh, are keeping feeling... our, our social distancing really, really important. Must stress that. Well, is it, you know, uh, I've got to say, you know, you're looking. Firstly, I say you're looking really well. Thank you. Why is, why is that? Well, I've I've had the opportunity to enjoy cycling on roads with no cars. <laughs> <laughs> One of the advantages of lockdown, but it hasn't lasted. So other than the cycling? <laughs> well, I've been, I've been working from home and been very involved in a lot of the planning work for uh, COVID in Norfolk. And um, one of the things that we picked up on right from the beginning was that the, the elderly were the, are the people who are most at risk from, from this terrible illness. And therefore, where, where do elderly congregate? care homes um i mean so that, that's that's been that that became clear to the government kind of a little bit later than uh, their original you know let's build nightingale hospitals and they kind of went well let's not test people let's shove people out in the community and people were going from hospital probably covid positive into care homes and no one seemed to notice that until i think it's it's very difficult to interpret that the the trouble with with the news and and social media and all the rest of it is very hard to know quite what to believe and what not to believe. Um, one of the things that, that from from a factual point of view that I do know is that patients being discharged from hospitals um, in Norfolk um, were being tested. And one of the things, we, we have an um, uh, enhanced care home team mm-hmm. uh, that visits the, 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 the care homes of the 19 practices of North Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we strive to do is to keep these elderly patients out of hospital in the first place. So actually, there weren't really many patients to come out. And as a result, we weren't seeing the, the, that aspect of this problem. See, t- testing, to, you know... According to Mr. Hancock, there was 
100,000 tests a day and, and now he's not going to publish that data because it's meaningless apparently, which uh, that's a comment I can make and, and, and I know you have to be careful on, on, on what you say, but you say Norfolk was testing, that kind of didn't appear to be the case you know initially from the government figures that were coming out did norfolk have it did it steal a march or well uh, if you think about testing in the first place resources for testing um were limited in the early stages of the problem and therefore the the testing obviously the first place for testing was was in our hospitals um after that um, what we were looking at as, as a group was whether we could start to look at testing within care homes. And we were very lucky. I had some good contacts through um, the university, where this is the other place I work. This is the U- um, UEA in, yeah, in UEA. Norwich, yeah. Um, and UEA would, were doing marvellous things to support the, the COVID effort. They were mm-hmm. producing alcohol wash for hands. Yep. And they, they've, they've some crazy figure of... 1.3 million hands have been washed by UEAs, <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. Mm. And they were, but at the same time, they were also setting up a testing platform at the Bob Champion Building, which is next to the Norfolk and Norwich, and supporting the Norfolk and Norwich efforts in in the testing. So through those contacts, I was able to find a pathway into the uh, Norfolk and Norwich testing, uh, which I was able then to offer for care homes. So this is kind of above the government scheme? Is I suppose it? the thing we were trying to do was we were trying to pick up early uh, when there might be a case in a care home. Yeah. Because if you identify a case early and you can isolate that person from the rest of the residents, then the chances of spread are massively reduced. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the figures for Norfolk obviously a lot lower it's, it's one of the things that we're we're you know we're, we're selling houses in Munsley and we're saying well look at the look at the instance of COVID in Norfolk it's low mm. now yeah I suppose um we've been lucky um uh Norfolk when the when the infection first got into the UK and London was suffering badly with with the early wave Norfolk was quite isolated basically due to the season it was still cold old February, March. Yeah. There were no tourists coming up here. The population of Norfolk is relatively stable and static and remains within Norfolk. So therefore, we didn't get the, the, the you know, you, as somebody once said to me, you must be knowing someone in Norfolk if you come to Norfolk because nobody comes through. Yes, no, you, you've <laughs> got to go there to go there. Exactly. That's, you never, you so, never travel through. So I think as a result, we were lucky that we almost, in an equivalent, we had our lockdown earlier than the rest of the country. And I think that played a part. Oh, everybody definitely behaved, didn't they, over here? There was no... Very well behaved. Yeah, it, it, it was um, very marked. I think that people genuinely shut up shop. Yeah, and it was fantastic to see such a, a wonderful community response uh, where the young, who were less at risk, made massive efforts to protect the old who were at risk. And the only way you can do that is through isolation. Hmm. I suppose this would be a really good point just to talk a little bit, to get an understanding, because I, I talk to people all the time about infections and, and just to, to establish an understanding. Everybody thinks that COVID is this sort of this crazy disease that, that um, spreads from person to person. It's almost like a living thing that, that gets into your body and takes over. And in fact, a virus, and this is what coronavirus is, coronavirus is, is a similar strain to the common cold, but this one is, is built differently, genetically differently. But all a virus is, is, is a particle. It's, it's not life as we know it. 
Um, it is just a single particle made up of little components called RNA. Mm -hmm. And when it gets into the body, it, it cleverly binds to the machinery in our cells that makes our cells work for us. Okay. And as a result of that, it almost like takes over the cell so that it can produce more of its RNA. Mm -hmm. So actually, a virus isn't really a living thing. And when we talk about killing a virus, we, we don't mean to kill it as in to kill a life. We're much more thinking about how um, we denature it. We take away its structure so it can no longer be the key that fits into our cells okay. to take it over. So, and I think that's important because if we think about how do we fight such an illness, it, with, we're always talking about we need to kill the virus. What we really need to do is to make sure that these little particles don't enter our body. Right. Because we, when they enter so, our body, they then take over ourselves. So it's hand washing. So hand washing is so important. Yes. And, and so how many times a day do you wash your hands with soap? Uh, I don't think there's, a, there's a, a limited number. I think every time you've touched something that you think someone else might have touched, that is the time to wash or use alcohol gel on your hands. Yeah. Um, so. And if you were to do that, that is probably the single most important thing that will keep you as an individual safe. Mm. So how do we keep others safe? And we always think that a mask is going to protect us, but the virus particles are so small, they can get round and through masks. They get onto the surface of the mask, then we touch the mask on our fingers, mm. and then we put our fingers near our mouths or on our face, mm -hmm. and the next thing is we've got the virus inside our bodies. So, so the mask isn't the greatest protector for the individual, but it's fantastic for the community, because if you've got something covering your mouth, um, and this is how the particles get out of your body when you, when you are infected yep. and you're producing more of these little particles. When they come out of your mouth, when you talk, worse when you shout. There's some mm -hmm. studies showing that shouting causes increased infection rates. Mm -hmm. And when you, obviously the obvious one is when you sneeze mm -hmm. or spit or anything like that or cough. All of those things are going to expel these particles. Once the particles in the air, in the air they're so infinitely small, they can travel reasonable distances, two meters, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore once it's crossed that barrier, then you breathe it in and then you, you are infected. Well, this is, this is my, uh, the upwind theory. Yeah, upwind is a great Be upwind. Be aware yeah. where the wind is coming from. Absolutely. Stand that side of the people. So if you, anyone's spraying the, spraying the bug around, it's you. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, if you've already got it, that's your problem. But the point yeah. is, it's just... And so the key way we keep others safe is by wearing a mask. And that's why they ask you to wear a mask when you get onto a bus or any public transport. And the reason being is that you, it's very hard to maintain a social distance when you're on, a, mm. on public transport. So the reason you wear a mask is so you protect others from particles that you may deliver. Now, if everybody on the bus was wearing masks, the rate of infection would be massively reduced. Mm. And if we look at the figures from, I mean, take Hong Kong as an example. Mm -hmm. Hong Kong adjoining China uh, with a massive flow between them. The, the, their, their social distance in Hong Kong is very small, and yet they've only had four deaths. Uh, and a lot of that is about their discipline, the fact that they're, they're hand-washing, the fact that you wouldn't be seen out in Hong Kong without a mask on. Everybody wears a mask. You wouldn't be allowed into shops without a mask on. You wouldn't be allowed on transport without a mask on. In this country... It's rare to see a mask. Well, and usually the people wearing the masks are the ones who are at risk, yeah, not no, the absolutely. ones who yeah. are delivering the virus. And no. therefore the mask is less protective for them than the ones who are not at risk. 
It is, it is something that, you know, a bloke of my age is simply not used to. And it, it, there's a kind of, um, well, it's so out of character for people who are used to meeting, greeting, talking, expressing, you know, a communication between two people, as we both know, is very little about the words. It's about the expression and, and, and your holding, you know, which is your face, isn't it? If you take away lots of someone's face, lots of the communication... That's true. But hopefully this is a transient phase. And the more we protect others, we will protect ourselves because of spread. And so by following those simple rules, if you said to me, one of the take home messages from this, this interview today, wash your hands, use alcohol gel as often as you can, whenever you think you've touched something um, and wear a mask. Wear a mask, not necessarily for your safety, but for others' safety. If everybody wore a mask, the infection rate would be dropped. Now, I think people have sort of forgotten that COVID is here. They sort of know no, it's here. Without a doubt, we've forgotten. But, but, you know, I mean, I haven't looked at today's death rates, but I, one of the things I do is I look at every day, the death rate every day. Yesterday was 155. Yep. Um, you know, if there was a, a motorway crash yep. and 155 people were killed, yep. it would be massive news. And yep. yet every day we're getting those sort, sorts of figures. At the, in May, at the height of this crisis, we were losing 1,500 people a day. Yeah. Um, and those figures are so crazy large that we can't we can't imagine what that's like. Now, there's some, some people saying, well, you know, those are people that would have been dying anyway. And, you know, that's that's there's a lot of people now very much talking down the, the dynamics of, of, mm. of how bad it all is. And we've overreacted and we're, I'm feeling fine. What's all that about? Yeah, the feeling of I, I can understand pe- people's feeling of of. Of, over, of the overreaction. But I, th- I think people have now become a little immune to the fear of what this disease held at the beginning. Remember when we first started, we didn't realise that it was going to be quite so devastating for the elderly mm. and, so, and, and less devastating for the young. Mm. And therefore, at the moment, the young, and I, and I mean up to about 40, mm-hmm. um, uh, are now thinking, what's all this about? What, why can't I just get back to my normal life? Um, and I can understand that. It's totally not, you know, we've been put a, sort of locked away for three months, not being able to, to participate in life as we were used to. And there's, there's a, the feeling of, well, nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to my family. Unless, of course, you're one of those unlucky ones that have lost a relative, either somebody who was elderly mm-hmm. or somebody who had other illnesses, which we call comorbidities. Mm. And the more other illnesses you have, the greater your risk well, of mortality a, from COVID. There's more and more stories coming out of people who were relatively fit, who are their capacity, lung capacity and their ability to do anything post-COVID is quite horrific. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and again, those... You know, luckily those are few and far between, but they do exist. And therefore, however young, however fit you are, there's still you're still at risk. The risk hasn't gone, but the risk is relative. The risk is relative to driving a car. The risk is relative to all sorts of other activities you partake. Um, but it's a, it's a shared community risk. It isn't quite the same, is it? Exactly. Um, I mean, you, you. I mean, you as a family. You, you know, you, your wife are both doctors. Your three children are all doctors. You've had two of your children who've definitely had this disease. Yes. Um, so we had uh, el- my eldest daughter was working at ITU down yeah. in the south. Uh, my middle daughter was working on um, the intensive ward for respiratory disease. 
and my son was working as an emergency doctor admitting. So they were all three of them on the front line. And as parents, apart from being as doctors, trying to get to sleep at night. At those early days, no one knew, did they? I mean, I can remember Sean... You know, just saying, I, I, I try not to think about it. As, but yeah. it's, it, and you had to blank it out almost, a way to cope. And one of the ways, it's an interesting way that I coped, okay? You yeah. might think, well, you know, you want to be in touch, listening to the news and knowing what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. I know what you're going to say. One of the first <laughs> things I did, um, um, I got so fed up with the bleak news that came on the radio every morning. I've always woken up to Radio 4. Six o'clock, the alarm goes off, and it's Radio 4 news. And I just thought, do you know what? Let's switch it over to birdsong. So now I wake up to birdsong and, oh, my goodness, I feel so much better for it. Yeah, well, this is uh, very apt because we've got your, uh, your flock of pigeons that are deciding to, to join the uh, podcast today. I, I'm very aware on my earphones of the, uh, of, the, <laughs> of the noise they're making. So now we know what that, that is in the background. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously your, your morning ritual has changed markedly. Yeah, well, well, the other thing, as you know, Andrew... Is, um, <laughs> this is why you're looking so well, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> of course, yeah. One of the things that we always used to do, Andrew, was get up in the morning at 6 a.m. and go for a run. Um, and um, go in the gym. In the, yeah, absolutely. But, of course, with social distancing, that's not possible. Yeah, no, I've been, And it's I've interesting, been... fascinating um, scientific paper published on running and cycling is that if you're behind someone who is running or cycling, then your social distance has to increase because, in effect you're entering their airspace very shortly behind. Mm. And as a result, of course, they're puffing and panting and blowing out lots of particles. So if they're infected and you, on a bike, at least 10 metres behind, you might as well be next to them in terms of... of, I mean, 10 metres is... It's a long way. Well, just be in front then. (laughs) So it is a race. I'm always in front. (laughs) You are. He is Mr. Competitive. Um, you know, another th- uh, important thing to do, uh, one of the things that we... 70% of patients on ITU being ventilated were overweight. 70%. Yeah, I'm a bit um, podgy. And you're like a stick you know, insect. So, so losing weight, getting out there, doing some exercise, keeping yourself fit, all of these these things yeah. will protect you. Yeah, the more lung capacity you use, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I, I have kept up with running and um, I managed to pull my calf muscle last week that's so frustrating i'm very conscious of that and i'm very conscious in the early days of covid the whole of the village was out walking mm. everybody yes. was aware and it was lovely weather in march but ev- there was so many every footpath you saw 20 30 40 people you know at varying mm. times on your walk and people were going on very long walks that seems to have kind of tailed off to nil again hasn't it it has but there's a big study taking place looking at the levels of exercise and how it changed during lockdown and the the results aren't fully out yet but i'm looking at similar studies being done in europe and the the exercise rate of people has gone up by almost 100 Mm. percent hats off to the nhs and the frontline workers i'm no longer frontline um still playing my part but in a slightly different way but I mean, you know, the key workers out there um, and the NHS staff, you know, have taken massive risk to look after the rest of society. You know, and in your trade, Andrew, the, the farmers, you know, they've been out there planting their crops. And and without that, where are we? Yeah, well, our farmers have been out there planting their crops in a, in a sealed air-conditioned tractor without meeting anybody. The best, the best thing about this spring was 
there wasn't any traffic on the road and they actually had a phenomenally fabulous the only good bit of weather in the whole growing season was between the incredibly wet eight months previous and then the incredibly dry covid period that mm. everyone was enjoying the sunshine while the crops were beginning to shrivel up and and they were able to, when it finally got dry enough they were able to do all their work and they're thinking oh at last we've had a reprieve from the misery only to turn into a heat wave and it so it, they've had a they've had a fabulous few minutes of weather normally this time of year they're going to the show or shows they're going to meetings they're going they're going to see each other and have a bit of a catch up and i think they're missing that and yeah this is when it's more of a strain on from that context yeah i think everybody's going to find that difficult it's changed our lives hasn't it there's Mm. no doubt about that um and what's normal what will be normal well we don't know i mean if we look at the history of pandemics it is very common to get a second wave after Ah. the first and possibly a third wave after that we all want to know about the second wave don't we well we don't know do we there's lots and lots of unknowns um the 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 you know, one of the view, one of the ideas was herd immunity, and if we're all out there and we catch it, we then become immune. And we are starting to look at immunity, and there is now a blood test that can be done that sh- that tells you if you have the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your antibodies, which is the way you fight the illness in the first phase, will increase. And then once you've gone through that phase, you then form an antibody that stays in the body to look after you in case it comes round again. Now, obviously, this is one of the first questions one of the guys asked the antibodies have shed. Are you susceptible again? Do do they leave you? Is there a point when the antibodies go, I don't need to be here anymore, I'm off? We we don't know is the answer to that because this is new. Mm. Um, We can only look at previous examples. So if we take, because this isn't the first time we've had COVID. This is SARS-2. So SARS-1 um, uh, which was a slightly more virulent and therefore slightly more self-limiting because obviously if a virus kills its host, mm. it doesn't have the opportunity to spread. Mm. The reason that this virus has been so clever, and I use that term in inverted commas, um, that it, because it, most of the people remain relatively well and some people remain completely asymptomatic. Mm. So they have no symptoms whatsoever and yet they're outspreading the virus. Mm. Now, that's clever virus because it means it can get into young people especially children and it can pass it on to other people now a virus that kills its host once the host is dead it's got nowhere to live and if it hasn't managed to pass itself on to someone else beforehand then the virus disappears so the very virulent viruses are severe when you get them but often short-lived well, the problem with this virus is it can hang around for ages because lots of people have it and they won't know they've got it. And that's the danger. You could be out in Norwich, walking around, seeing lots of well people and thinking, I'm safe. There's, there's, there's an- anecdotal conversations from laymen. You know, the sun is shining, the ultraviolet light will kill it, the temperature yes. doesn't suit it. it. Well, it doesn't, it denatures. Back to the, the point about what is a virus. A virus is a particle. And if it gets sunlight on it, the UV light causes that particle to break up. So once it's broken up, it can no longer function. So that's what alcohol gel does to so, it. It so breaks the, the particle up. Yeah, the probability, therefore, is that, that the second wave doesn't come until the, until the weather starts that's, turning. Well, they're predicting it will be in flu season, which will be um, classically when it comes, which is, you know, September, October time. 
it all depends on what the bounce back is like. Mm. Um, if everybody thinks it's gone away and they bounce back to normal, well, in inverted commas, at this moment. with lots of parties and yeah. beaches and mm. all the rest of it, then the chance of getting another spike is very high. And I believe, although I don't listen to the news, something like that's happening in Leicester. Um, yeah, no, Leicester's, Leicester's in lockdown again. Really difficult tightrope. Uh, you know, w- w- at what point do we go back to, in inverted commas, normal? Um, and I don't think anybody truly knows. The, the ri- the, one of the risks is that, um, you know, in medicine, is that while everyone is too frightened to come to the doctors with other conditions, yeah. they will die from those conditions that are not being diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the next problem, of course, is that the hospitals have effectively been shut for normal business for three months. The waiting lists before were bad, mm. and now they are so, horrific. Some, some doctors haven't covered themselves in glory and being available. There is, there, you're right, there's a lot of people now going to die of cancer because they have not had the treatment in time or up to date. And, it's and that isn't always to the fault of the clinicians not being able to see them. Uh, we have a, um, a team called the Virtual Clinical Team, the VCT. We have very s- senior clinicians who go through a list of patients um, that we know are vulnerable mm-hmm. and we phone them up. Uh, you have a virtual consul- consultation. Yeah, but if somebody, if the red flags come up, you go, right, we've got to get them in. Absolutely. Whereas if you... Absolutely. you we know, can you help s- them, we can encourage yeah, okay. them. And we have had cases where we've picked up people who've been very poorly at home, who've been too frightened to come out and see anyone, and we've managed to, to intervene. I, can, I know of one case, personally one case, where that... A life was saved because we were we so, we opportunistically phoned that patient. So I've got some of my questions from the from the team, um, and some of them are, you know, herd immunity myth or fact. Herd immunity at the moment we don't quite know, but we're thinking that we're probably about ten percent as ten percent of the population at this point um, have developed antibodies that m- may possibly protect them. Now I say may possibly because we ha- there's no evidence yet the scientific experiments haven't taken place because this is a new yeah. virus but if we were to extrapolate from SARS-1 we were finding the probably immunity to SARS-1 where they got the antibodies was for at least six months and possibly 24 okay so which is that's good news. that would be good so let's go, so with, therefore, let's if, go you, with if you've had it fact we'll you, call that fact we'll buy into you, that <laughs> we're not this is an optimistic <laughs> podcast fantastic <clears throat> Right, one of my colleagues, you know, when they get a vaccine, will they put trackers in our bodies to know where we are? Um, this I, is like James Bond trackers. I think that's highly unlikely. Um, I think when we get a vaccine, we'll hopefully distribute far and wide if it's produced enough. Um, it usually takes about 18 months to, uh, to discover, develop and safely produce a vaccine. Um, the world is working it on a new timescale at the moment. And somebody was whispering comments about it possibly being a vaccine in September, October. But again, as I said, I listen to Birdsong in the morning. So who knows whether that's true or not? Um, you could always listen to what Boris Johnson's just said. Best to listen to a cuckoo, I think. Children, carriers, are they, are they carriers or not? Yes, because a child, a child can get the, the illness and be asymptomatic, i.e. Okay. they have no symptoms, and yet they're still, they still have the virus and therefore they can still get infected. So schools? Schools. Good uh, thing about they've got to go back. They can't the, not yeah, go back. they've got to go back. And as we, we were talking about safe, safe ways to be t- closer together. 
which we talked about at the beginning. Yep. Okay. PPE, are we now uh, sorted as, you know, the National Health, have they got their act together in terms of having lots of it now? Um, certainly the more around. Have we're we, not, have we know, we're, we're, production? We're, we're, we're checking, you know, keeping an eye on what both practices and community units and social services, because that's important, carers need it, because they're a, um, a, a powerful vector if they're not protecting their patients by wearing masks, Absolutely. their residents by wearing masks. So, but at the moment, things things look reasonably stable on that front, which is great news. But yeah, okay. So I think with that, we we we, we could, you know, we're trying to cover every angle for, um, f- you know, for, for people who have fears. It's one of those. It's one of those subjects. All of us have been um, impacted. We we've never experienced anything like it. Mm. Um, it's, it. To me, it's reassuring. I I know you, and we've we've had conversations, mm. and to, to hear that you were part of the kind of response and part of the team that was making the strategic plans in this county was very reassuring to me, because um, I know the logical clinical approach you've had, and I know that lots of the um, the, the homes, the old people's homes, have been cleaner clearer healthier because you actually got a system in place yeah we've it's it's fascinating the work we did um we we're going to scientifically publish because um we discovered that lots of elderly patients in care homes were asymptomatic carriers which was interesting yeah um uh, we also noticed that elderly patients weren't presenting with the classical symptoms of New end, new onset cough and fever. They were presenting with the most weird, minor symptoms. I and mean, one patient presented with hiccups, for example. Okay. Um, so, so we've been. That's alerted us to have a greater suspicion for unusual presentations, and therefore early testing, early but isolation. This was back to my point. You actually stepped in and did a little bit of extra testing, didn't you? We did. I mean, Norfolk um, is in the bottom five yeah. of. COVID infection deaths in care homes. That's a brilliant place to be. And I feel very proud and privileged to to have been part of that. I think the big message, the big message to everybody who is still worrying and frightened about COVID is at some point we've got to move on. And, And the most important thing is to move on safely. And if we move on safely as a community, thinking there are some young that are going to be asymptomatic and are probably not going to come to any harm at all, but amongst the community there's going to be some vulnerable and some very vulnerable if we all look after one another we will look after ourselves so therefore wearing the mask will protect others as opposed to protecting us and washing our hands and using alcohol gel will protect us put those together and we will be a safer community and, and i think that's still my big message we can't cure this yet and whether we'll ever be able to cure it is another matter we may be able to prevent it by finding a vaccine but in the meantime Herd immunity might help, but in the meantime, let's remain as a community and let's look after one another. And so doing, we will look after ourselves. I think that's a great, great big message to end with. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Pleasure. This morning I have got with me Ian Webster because he was the quickest off the draw when I said, who wants to come in and drink a beer? So Ian, good on you to take one for the team. It's always a challenge. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> favourite part of the week actually. Yep. Right. You have gone for what? Um, I've got Life and Death IPA. It's uh, the brewery is vacation. I've got so I've never heard of it. Um, Hebden Bridge. It looks pretty cool. Look, look pretty trendy. Obviously, it's uh, yeah, and must be a newish craft brewer. It's right. It smells good. Citrus brew. Tropical citrus brew. 
I have got, that, well, this looks the right, sort of like, more like lager, yeah. Baby-faced Assassin by Roosters Brewing Co. So it, it looks a better colour than yours. It's 6.1 on the Richter scale. And who's, uh, who's going to, um, what's it, Super Saturday tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> July the 4th. Yeah, down the pub. No, we, we're going, we've got, uh, got friends of ours who had booked um, that day to get married, and they can't get married on that day. So she's going to put the dress on. Oh, and really? they're going to have a like a soiree for for four people. <laughs> are they actually officially tying the knot then? Are they? No, um, no. no, no. But they kind of, you know, okay. he wants to want to dress up. That's <laughs> right with me. <laughs> but it's like you know, going. Got to make sure you don't get too many stains on that new uh, new wedding dress. Well, I <laughs> don't know what to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, indeed. Anyway, I'm going to sip this baby-faced assassin. Mm, cheers. So do you think the pubs are going to be busy? I don't know. Oh, that slipped down the right. Nice, that did. Uh, yeah, it's good. Good beer, that. Proper proper drinking Ooh. beer. Wow. God. It's okay. Yeah, no, will it be busy? Um, I don't think they'll be as busy as some people think, but it's kind of reassuring that it's there to be done. I think I, I'm not going to go into a pub. I'm going to be sitting in the beer garden. It's going to be nice enough weather to go and order, you know, you order your beer mm. in a relatively sensible way. Well... I got it wrong. I thought Harvest would have started by now. Well, I, I sucked into that, and to, yeah. I said in East Anglia there'd be a sample for us to have in our hands today. Now, if somebody's combining today, you aren't going to hear this in time, but I'm going to be re- searching Twitter. I will be in my car, I will go there, and I'll take a picture of myself holding the sample, because I will then win our little yeah. competition. <laughs> I was reliably informed by two growers that there would be Harvest by the middle of the week. And unfortunately, weather hasn't played ball for me to be the, the victor, but I thought I was in with a well, pretty good shot. Time for an old Norfolk boy saying, if you think it's fit, go on holiday for a week. True. Yeah. True. So it'll be going next week for certain in Norfolk. Yeah. Just one little co- topic of conversation I want to have while you're in the room, Ian, is this um, the announcement yesterday of Openfield and Frontier, um, Openfield having lost the Warburton's contract. And the Warburton's contract. contract, yeah. It's a bit yeah. of a... Political hot potato, isn't it? Well, we're, know, we're, we're bound to upset um, Frontier if we say something negative. Yeah. We're bound to upset Openfield yeah. by announcing something which is obviously going yeah. to give them a good kicking. Um, then there's an observation about a British milling company uh, or baking company mm. passing responsibility to a American-owned or largely American-controlled yeah. yeah. business. Um, and another notch of control mm. kind of in a, in a, in a yeah, in yeah, very yeah, few course, hands. Yeah. This industry is dying, if anyone hadn't noticed it. Now, possibly, there's not too, too many people will really cry about grain merchants disappearing. But I suspect... You might, might you say that, but you might cry after the event, if that makes any sense. You yeah, sort no, of, will. You, they will. Yeah. You, you don't know what you're missing till it's yeah. gone. And... Yeah. and I think, you know, for all of the sins of the grain trade and grain merchants through the years have been utter devils. But the more of them there are, the more competition there mm. is. And the more competition there is, Absolutely. the higher the price. Yeah. And without support, smaller companies cannot, we could not supply the Warburton's contract on block. No. We no. don't do the tonnage. We haven't got, we've been notoriously yeah. telling everyone not to grow milling wheat for years. <laughs> so we would be possibly last on the yeah. list of, of selected. So it's not relevant to us per se, but it is a sign of you know, something bigger occurring. Yeah. And st- strategically, the government 
isn't really looking, I don't feel, you know. It's mm. food is integral, important. It is, yeah. St- strategically, they are not even thinking about it. Mm. So, yeah, it's another step down the, the road of one less. You feel, merchant. I mean, the the whole Warburton's contract was, um, it was a very prestigious, still is a very prestigious contract. And uh, and people, there was a lot of, you know, we had several growers, obviously weren't trading, trading in it, but several growers we'd speak to who were in the contract and um, spoke about it fondly. You know, they the brand association, it's a very much They're a great. British brand. It's a, it's, they've done really yeah. well, and they've come from nowhere. I mean, you, in my youth, I've never heard of Warburton's. Yeah. You know, it was Hovis, it was yeah. McDougal. And I actually, I mean, we can be critical of Openfield. I'm sure we've probably dropped the odd thing in there. But actually, I think the contract was in the right, pra- right place because it was kind of UK co-op. It's UK yeah. farming-based kind of... Uh, Support. I'm, I'm sure Openfield are going to be feeling fairly sore about it. It's it's a moment. I think it's, yeah. it's we we had to mention it because it's it's a big moment and uh, it'll pass and and it will all go through. Yeah. Anyway, with that, yeah. uh, enjoy your week and uh, first person to bring a sample in. Yeah, we'll we'll try and set a goal out. If someone turns up with a with a sample and we've got the the recording equipment about, we'll uh, we'll nab them and make them do the beer review with us. So you'll all know who the first sample came from then. Anyway, with that, uh, let's let's get going, everybody. Come on. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter we are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.